Hello and welcome to our podcast, Patient Voices Matter. I'm your host, Becky Barnes. Today, I'll be discussing my background of who I am, what I did before patient advocacy, how I became a patient advocate, and what you can expect to learn here at Patient Voices Matter. Future episodes will include patients just like you telling their patient story with opportunities for our listeners to be a part of our podcast. So whether you're driving to work, headed to a doctor's appointment, or at your home, having a cup of coffee or tea, thank you for being here. So let's get into it in our very first episode of How It All Started. Nestled in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains lay a beautiful coal mining town in eastern Kentucky. This is where I was born. My mother was a public school teacher and my father was a banker and a part-time DJ. I was an only child until 1983 when I got my wish of becoming a big sister. Even after I graduated from high school, got married, and had children of my own, my sister and I still had a lot of fun together. I would go pick her up with a bunch of her friends, cram them into my car, and have sleepovers complete with karaoke and movies. Growing up in the hills of eastern Kentucky was fun. There was an endless supply of cousins, and we would play kickball, wiffle ball, wade in the creek, and hike in the hills. There were just a few things that seemed to be difficult for our families in the area. Cancer. The rate of cancer is very high in the Appalachians. The air, water, and soil in many areas is polluted. Smoking was a very common place as well. Coal miners breathing in coal dust did not help. Our family was no different than others. My grandfather, my mother's father, was diagnosed with lung cancer that metastasized to his brain. A few of his brothers also died from cancer, and his oldest son died from a type of blood cancer called leukemia. But it wasn't just adults or seniors that died from cancer. My very best friend in 1987 died from complications of brain cancer when we were only 12 years old. Even though I didn't have cancer, it left a huge impact that would stay with me for the rest of my life. None of these tragedies could have prepared me for the phone call from my parents in 2001 saying they thought my sister had cancer. It was Thanksgiving 2001. My sister Rachel had been attending Moorhead State University and having some issues with fatigue and itching on her skin. The doctors didn't seem too concerned, but on Thanksgiving Day, my mother found a large lump on my sister's neck. I drove back home to go with her for her MRI to find out exactly what this was. But before we even got down from the MRI to the cafeteria, the doctor had called to say that it was cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. She was only 18 years old. There weren't any great cancer clinics back home, so my family had to travel three hours one way for cancer treatment for my sister. They would continue to do this over the next four years. My sister had multiple chemotherapy and radiation treatments. She also had two stem cell transplants, one from her own stem cells and one from mine. The cancer was just a very aggressive type. And no matter what treatments were given, the cancer kept returning. She put up an amazing battle. My sister passed away two weeks after her 22nd birthday in her home with my parents by her side, July 2005. This is where I started the journey of becoming a patient advocate. 
September 2005, just a few months after Rachel passed away, I became the co-event coordinator for the Light the Night event for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. In 2008, I was accepted into nursing school and later on went to become a national patient advocate for the National Patient Advocate Foundation based out of Washington, D.C. Throughout this time, I was doing my clinical rotations on the med surge floor and ICU unit at the hospital for nursing school when I became ill with a mysterious illness. This is the first time that I've ever experienced medical gaslighting. It's all in your head. It's anxiety. You just need a therapist. These were thrown at me many times. But could they not see that I was sick? I spoke with my clinical nurse instructors, and we all agreed this may be Graves' disease. Unfortunately, it would take an ER trip with a heart in distress to get the attention of a physician's assistant that would not give up on me. I had eight hours of CAT scans with contrast, MRIs, blood work, but no answers could be found. My PA called me a house MD case. She said, we can't figure you out. And I cried to her and said, please don't send me home. If you send me home, I will die. And she said, you're not going anywhere until we find out what's wrong. She asked me if my family had thyroid issues, and I said, yes, my mother. My doctor was perplexed. Why didn't you tell me? Well, why would I? No one ever listened to me before. So she ran the thyroid test, and sure enough, my thyroid was highly elevated. I was in a life-threatening thyroid storm. Because I didn't have insurance at the time, the quote-unquote, they quote-unquote stabilized me and got me out the door. I weighed in at a whopping 87 pounds at five foot two, and had muscle wasting. I tried to go back to college, but I couldn't continue. I reluctantly withdrew and tried my best to recover. I then volunteered for two cancer clinics in my area and ended up working as a CNA on the stroke and brain injury units at a local rehabilitation hospital called Cardinal Hill. In 2012, I applied and was accepted into massage school. I graduated and became specialized in oncology massage and worked with critically ill and chronically ill persons. Unfortunately, I was still sick and getting sicker. My primary care provider ordered an endoscopy, and through this, I was diagnosed with a hiatal hernia, IBS, and celiac disease, which is another autoimmune disease. I was placed on a gluten-free diet, started on B12 injections, and a prescription for Prilosec for my stomach. To sum it all up, after my thyroid storm, I never got better. My life since then would be riddled with autoimmune diseases that the doctors could not diagnose, iron deficiency anemia, years of iron infusions, surgical placement of a cathaport for iron, a bone marrow biopsy, skin punch biopsies to test for small fiber neuropathy, MRIs that shown a clival tumor in my brain, stage 4 endometriosis that needed three surgeries, one of which was a total laparoscopic hysterectomy that finally fixed the anemia that specialists believed for five years was from IBS and celiac disease. I have been through so much and seen so many other patients be medically gaslit, have no insurance or be underinsured, and not sure what questions to ask the doctor. Some people do not even realize they can fire their doctor and hire someone else. Remember, the doctor works for you.
Have you been on the referral bus? That's what I have called it, where the primary care sends you to one specialist who sends you to another specialist, and the bus just keeps going. You get off the bus at all the stops, only to have to get back on the bus to see another doctor. Do you understand your patient rights? Do you feel like your patient voice is being heard? If not, you're in the right place. Patient Voices Matter is here to help people and their caregivers understand their rights, what they can do, the resources available in your community, and how to organize and navigate through your healthcare journey. This is my story. Now, I want to hear yours. If you would like to be on our podcast or have a question answered on our podcast, please reach out to us at www.patientvoicesmatter.com or contact us at ptadvocate at patientvoicesmatter.com. Thank you for tuning in to Patient Voices Matter. I've been your host, Becky Barnes. Remember to keep your head high, never lose hope, and always speak your patient voice because patient voices matter.